and uh, we're using this passage in Romans. Romans is probably the the best book in all of the Bible for Christian doctrine. It talks about, about the righteousness of God. How can a man be right with God? Read the book of Romans. The, Rome, the book of Romans has more doctrine, more practical application than almost any other book of the Bible. I can't really think of another book that uh, covers so much uh, territory, so much subject matter as the book of Romans. And when you study the book of Romans, you'll come to the 8th chapter. And the 8th chapter of Romans is one of the greatest chapters in all of the Word of God. If you were to write a book, and I have a book at home on great chapters of the Bible, and Romans chapter 8 is included in uh, in that book. I want to tell you, the 8th chapter of Romans starts off with no condemnation and ends with no separation, so that whenever we come to the Lord Jesus Christ and have our sins forgiven and receive the gift of eternal life, we're instantly, uh, dramatically and radically changed. Uh, we, we, we are given the gift of eternal life and there's no condemnation. And God does not condemn us any longer and, and he justifies us and there will be no separation from him for all eternity and I'm so glad about that. Um, I was talking to Brother Ted earlier this morning and mentioned that we, we, we were talking about the body of Christ just briefly and I said you know the idea if somebody, if somebody were to be saved they're added to the body of Christ and if they could lose their salvation they would be extracted from the body of Christ and that would mutilate the body of Christ and so we would wonder uh, how, many, how many parts of the body would be missing, how many fingers, how many toes that you see the body of Christ is going to be complete, everyone that's ever been saved is going to compose the body of Christ and if you're a Christian you're a part of that body and you have eternal life and you can just rest assured you can sing the song blessed assurance Jesus is mine oh what a foretaste of glory divine you're headed for glory just remember this everything that begins in grace ends in glory hallelujah to the Lamb of God who's taken away uh, the sins of the world now this week we're going to celebrate our annual holiday named Thanksgiving it's a family day it's a feast day it's a fun day it's a football day it's a fantastic day of thanksgiving to our great God for all his bountiful blessings to us but thanksgiving should never be limited to only one day a year thanksgiving should also be characterized by thanks living every day can you say amen to that you know I we, we're talking about Thanksgiving and, and of course at thank, on Thanksgiving's day there's always football I mean the ladies usually fix a terrific meal and, and, and it's gobbled down you know uh, very quickly uh, and and the guys especially usually sit around the television watching the football games I I heard about a young man who, who happened to receive he, he won a ticket I don't know how I won it in, in some kind of a game that he played he won a ticket to the Super Bowl and uh, he went to the Super Bowl and, and his seat was way up in the bleachers he could hardly see down on the field and he wondered isn't there a better seat and he looked and he saw a man sitting down close to uh, 
the, to the field and the seat next to him was empty. So he went down there and he said, is this seat empty? Is, is someone going to be here for you? And he said, no. He said, it's, it's empty. You can sit here. And he said, my wife and I have come to the Super Bowl from the first day of our marriage, but my wife has passed away. Oh, the young man said, I'm sorry to hear that, but couldn't you get one of your friends or one of your relatives to come with you to the football game today? And he said, no, they're all at the funeral. And uh, (laughs) now there are some people, there are some people that, uh, you know, they they celebrate different ways of Thanksgiving. But uh, I I did a little research this last week and I found out that uh, that the word thank and thanks and thanksgiving and thankful and thankfulness are found approximately 150 times in the Bible, in the Word of God. All of those words, uh, a compilation of them, a hundred, approximately 150 times. And I love the old hymn that says, Count Your Blessings, and uh, also the praise song by Andre Crouch that we sang just a little while ago, My Tribute. But, but, but the, the old song, Count Your Blessings, says, When upon life's billows you are tempest tossed, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. And then the refrain says, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, see what God hath done, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And then another verse says, are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy? You are called to bear. Count your many blessings. Every doubt will fly and you will keep singing as the days go by. And then another verse. When you look at others with their lands and gold, think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold. Count your many blessings. Wealth can never buy your reward in heaven nor your home on high. And then the last verse. So amid the conflict whether great or small do not be disheartened God is over all count your many blessings angels will attend help and comfort give you to your journey's end boy what a song what a wonderful expression what a tribute of praise to our great God I I read a story about uh, uh, an evangelism and worship team that went over to the island of Tobago uh, to a, a leper colony people had leprosy there and and the pastor uh, Jack Hinton was leading the the singing and after they had finished singing he said we still have time for one more song and and, uh, would somebody like to choose it and a lady who had been sitting near the front but with her back to the pulpit turned around and looked at the pastor and uh, raised her fingerless hand uh, and she had no nose and uh, both ears were off and her lips uh, were were almost eaten away and she said I'd like for us to sing count your many blessings and the pastor was overcome with emotion and had to walk off the platform and a member of the team accompanied him and said Jack I guess you won't be able to sing that song anymore will you and he said oh yes I will but I'm
I'll never sing it the same way again. You know, you stop and think about it. A person with leprosy, with no fingers, uh, with no nose, no ears, lips, uh, eaten away, and yet saying, count your blessings. Somebody said, I used to complain because I didn't have any shoes until I met somebody that didn't have any feet. And we've all got so much to be thankful for. And I want us to think about that today. You know, if I were to give you a pop quiz right now and ask you the question, when is Thanksgiving Day? I wonder how many of you could give me the correct answer. Some of you may be thinking, uh, do you mean the exact date? Not really, because the dates vary from year to year. Uh, Some of you might say, I know it's a Thursday in November. Well, yes, but which Thursday? You know, even if you guess the exact date, which this year happens to be November the 27th, you still wouldn't give me the answer that I'm looking for. Uh, The official Thanksgiving Day goes all the way back to 1789 when George Washington, the first president of the United States, proclaimed November the 26th as a day of Thanksgiving. And after that, Thanksgiving Day continued to be celebrated on different days in different states until finally, in 1863, President Abraham Lincoln issued a a, a decree, a White House proclamation, calling on the whole American people to observe a special day of Thanksgiving on the last Thursday of November of every year. And so every ever since then, each president has issued a Thanksgiving Day proclamation designating the fourth Thursday of each November as the official Thanksgiving Day. Now, if, if you're a follower of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I believe most of us, if not all of us, are, I've got great news for you today. And though every day is certainly not a holiday, every day is Thanksgiving Day. And that's right, every day. Thanksgiving, plain and simple, is every day in the life of a believer. Can you say amen to that? Every day. We ought to wake up with thanks. Thank you, God, for a night of rest. Thank you, God, for a new day. Thank you, God, for your plans for me today. Thank you, God, that you you have me in mind today. You're my strength and you're my salvation. You're my song. You're everything to me. Thank you, God. Well, I'm going to share with you today three things that we can be thankful for every single day of our lives, regardless of our environment, regardless of our circumstances, and regardless of our condition. Three things that I'm thankful for personally every day. And uh, the, the first thing is, I'm thankful every day that God stands for me. And in, in your uh, sermon guide today, you may want to write this down. I am thankful every day that God stands for me. Psalm 56 and verse 9 says, When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. That's Psalm 56 and verse 9. In uh, Romans 8.31 in our Bible, in the passage that we've already read this morning, what then shall we say to these things if God is for us who can be against us? Romans 8.31. Now, 
naturally, grammatically, this verse would be better translated with the word since rather than if. Instead of if God be for us, it is since God is for us. And this is actually a rhetorical question that gives a definite answer to the matter how the question is asked, no matter how the question is asked. The the question, who? And the answer is, nobody can be against us. And so, to the question, what? Nothing can be against us. And to the question, when? Never can anything be against us. And to the question, where? Nowhere can anything be against us. And so, when you read your Bible carefully, you'll find one of the greatest lessons taught to be this. And listen carefully and always take this with you. God plus one equals a majority. All the time. God plus one equals a majority all the time. Joseph learned that lesson in prison. Jacob learned that lesson in trouble. Joshua learned that lesson at Jericho. Jonah learned that lesson in the belly of a whale. Uh, David learned that lesson against Goliath. Daniel learned that lesson in the lion's den. Elijah learned that lesson on Mount Carmel. Moses learned that lesson at the Red Sea. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego learned that lesson in the fiery furnace. The Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter learned that lesson in prison. One of the greatest promises to me in the entire Bible, and one that every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ should write down in their heart with a pen of steel and in unerasable ink, is Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 17. Isaiah 54, 17. And it says this, No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. So no weapon formed against you shall prosper. You can take that as God's promise to you. Now how can we be so confident of this in the light of what we all know uh, that we face every single day. Well, listen to verse 32 in Romans chapter 8. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Verse 32, you see, there is an argument from the greater to the lesser. Uh, If God gave his son to us before we were saved, what will he not give to us after we are saved? Uh, If God gave his son to us while we were sinners, what will he not give to us now that we are his children? You see, in in the book of Genesis, chapter 22, there is a story of Abraham and his son Isaac. God asked Abraham to offer up his only son as a sacrifice. And incredibly, without a whimper, without a gripe, without a complaint, Abraham simply surrendered to God's command. He did what God God told him to do. Although I'm, I'm sure that it was with tremendous pain in his 
heart, he started off to offer his son to the Lord for a sacrifice. If you don't know the story, God did not allow the sacrifice to take place, but only to illustrate Abraham's faith and willingness to obey. And so I want to ask you a question this morning. And here's the question. God God asked Abraham for his son, and Abraham gave his son. If God had asked Abraham for his tithe, do you believe that Abraham would have given it? Well, of course he would. If God had asked Abraham for his time, do you think Abraham would have given it? Absolutely he would have. Well, if God had asked him for his talents and his treasures, do you think Abraham would have given them? Certainly, absolutely, no doubt about it. And here's the point. If a man will offer you his son, there's certainly nothing else he wouldn't give you if you ask it. Honestly, there's no one on this planet that I'd give any of my sons for. I'm just being totally frank with you this morning. I wouldn't give my sons for anyone. But Abraham was called to give his son as a sacrifice to God. Let's just assume that you're, you are my worst enemy and I give you his clothes, his cell phone, and his DVDs, uh, if you ask for them. And if I would give you my son, I'd give you anything that he owns. His car, his house, uh, his clothes, everything. Uh, But the very fact that we know that God did indeed give his son for us is our, in, in in our greatest time of need. Do you not think that God will also give us everything else and anything else that we need? Well, of course he will. There's a story about a wealthy Roman who had a son who was a rebel, very rebellious, a very wayward uh, young man, and he broke his father's heart. And, and the father also had a slave who acted like a true son, uh, whom he grew to love like a son. And on his deathbed, he decided to disinherit his son and leave everything to his slave, whose name was Marcellus. And after the man died, the will was read and the executor speaking to the son said, This will says that your father was de- has, has deeded everything that he owns to his slave, Marcellus. You can imagine how angry the young man was. Uh, and then the executor said, However, you may choose one item from the estate your father left for yourself. The son thought about it for a moment and then said, Well then, I will take Marcellus. Well, think about it. When you accept Jesus Christ, you get everything that God has. If God gave you his son, he will give you anything else that you need. Philippians 4.19 says, 
But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Yes, God is for us. And the very fact that he gave his son for us is conclusive. God is for us. Can you say amen to that? Second thing I want you to notice is I'm thankful every day that God stands with me. God stands with me. Hebrews chapter 13 and and verse 5 records a promise that God has made to us. Uh, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I love that promise. That is one of the best promises in all of the word of God. Uh, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And it reads the same way backwards. Forsake you, never will I. I'll never leave you. I mean, forwards or backwards, it, it, it teaches the same thing. God will never leave us. He is with us. The, the phrase in, in verse 33, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And the phrase, bring a charge, is represented by one word in the Greek language. It's it's a legal term, which literally means to indict or to formally accuse. So the question is, who would bring a charge against one of God's children that they're not worthy to go to heaven? They're not worthy to have eternal life. They're not worthy of God's love. They're not worthy of having all that God has promised to them. Who is it that would make a charge like that? Well, we know from the word of God that the one that would do it does do it, and his name is Satan. Satan is an adversary. Satan is our enemy. Satan is against us. And whenever you choose Jesus Christ, you automatically choose the enemies of the Lord to be your enemies. And so in Revelation 12, 10, uh, Satan is called the accuser. We read about him. uh, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser. Accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Now, Satan spends a lot of his time in the courtroom of God as our prosecuting attorney trying to condemn us for the, uh, for the times that we fail and fall and the times that we do wrong in our lives. We, we have someone who's always accusing us. The, the truth of the matter is... Whenever Satan brings an accusation to God about our sins, he has, he has us dead to right. I mean, he, he's saying, we're, we've done this, we've done that. He's got all the facts. It's not hearsay. It's not circumstantial evidence. The truth of the matter is, even after we become a follower of Christ, we still sin. We still do wrong. We still fail God. I heard about a, a, a church that was having a testimony meeting. It was a Nazarene church, and, and, and they believed that when a person gets sanctified, they never sin again. And they were having a testimony service and, uh, about sanctification, and one man stood up to testify. His name was Henry. If your name is Henry, I'm, this is not directed at you at all. Uh, his name was Henry, and he was going to testify about being sanctified 
to the point that he never sins again. And his wife said, now remember, Henry, I'm here with you. Uh, Just think about it for a while. (laughs) Think about it for a while. Uh, I don't think any of us have gotten to the place that we're absolutely perfect in that regard. Well, Satan Satan has us dead to right. Uh, Think about the last week of your life, this last week. Uh, did, Did you have even one thought to pass through your mind that you shouldn't have? I heard about a pastor who was preaching and he stopped and he said, Folks, a thought just passed through my mind. And one of the deacons said, Boy, we live in dangerous times. (laughs) Well, sometimes we have thoughts that pass through our mind and those thoughts are not right. Uh, did, Did you say even one thing about someone else to someone else that you shouldn't have? Sometimes what's down in the well comes up in the bucket, usually when we least expect it. Uh, My grandmother always used to say, Sonny boy, keep your words sweet because you may have to eat them. We need to be careful about what we say and what we think. Here's one that will get us all. Did, Did you fail to do something that you should have done this last week? I mean, uh, maybe you had an opportunity to do something good for somebody and you failed to do it. Now, you've gone to maybe maybe the last seven days, you've gone without opening your Bible and reading uh, some verses for yourself. Uh, You see, the bad news is when hell's district attorney, Satan, brings a case against us in the court, he has us dead to right. He has us dead to right. What he doesn't understand, though, is that the case is fixed because the judge is also our defense attorney. (laughs) I love this. You see, the Bible says in verse 34, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Now, the word uh, here for condemn is another legal term that refers not to the indictment, but to the verdict, uh, to the judgment that is given. And uh, if you think about it, there's some real humor here. Can you imagine being in God's courtroom and the devil is the prosecuting attorney? Uh, he has the brief, his briefcase full of all the things that you've done wrong and you need a defense attorney. First John chapter 2 and verse 1 says, But if you do sin, there is someone to plead for you before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who pleases God completely. And that's from the New Living translation uh, now the, the Greek word for the one who pleads our cause our case literally means legal counsel or defense attorney and so you may be thinking right now I've got a shot to beat this thing uh, after all my defense attorney is Jesus Christ well it gets better than that do you know who the judge is John chapter 5 and verse 22 the Bible says and the father leaves all judgment to his son John 5:22 and so do, do you get the picture the the defense attorney is also the judge 
And do, do you think the court is rigged? <laughs> do, do you think the case is fixed? Well, it almost makes you feel sorry for the devil. Can, can you imagine how frustrated he gets every time he brings a case against us? He, he calls witness after witness. He has exhibits A through Z. He has pictures. He has photographs. He has tape recordings. He has signed confessions. And the defense never calls a witness. Uh, they get up to give closing arguments and the devil gives this eloquent, impassioned, airtight case against us and points out all the evidence that uh, he has that proves our guilt. And then our defense attorney, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, doesn't say a word. He just holds up a nail-pierced hand. Shows it to the judge, and the gavel comes down, and the verdict is rendered, not guilty, case dismissed. Uh, now, do, do you know why, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that you never have to fear the prosecution of the devil? Well, it's because your case has been settled out of court. Your case was settled on, on an old rugged cross uh, on a hill far away, the hill called Calvary, when Jesus Christ, our blessed Lord and Savior, shed his rich red royal redeeming blood for us and paid for every, every sin we have ever committed or will commit. Jesus died for your sin, paid for your sin, and his resurrection is the proof that God accepted that as payment for all of the sins that you committed. And that's why even on my worst day as a Christian, whenever I blow it, whenever I fall, whenever I fall so short of the glory of God, you couldn't find me with a a telescope. I'd be so far away. I can still be thankful because I know that God stands with me. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. God stands with me. Would you say that with me? God stands with me. He does. Every day you can depend upon it. The third thing I want to say, I am thankful every day that God stands by me. God stands by me. Listen to the scripture. Uh, Romans eight thirty-five to 39. We've read it, but I'm going to read it again. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribute or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Seven things there. Seven things. Could it be? As it's written, for your sake, we're killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that amazing? Absolutely amazing. Not a thing can separate us. There's no condemnation. There's no separation. And did you notice how, how, the, how that passage began in, in chapter 8? Notice there is therefore in verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit right now there is therefore now right now there is no condemnation 
My wife and I were in the Caribbean. I was preaching a revival meeting on one of the islands there, and uh, they 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 sing the gospel uh, music to a calypso beat, and this is one of the uh, verses that they would sing. Uh, and they would have the ladies would come and they would have tambourines and be playing, and 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 in the service they'd actually get up and kind of dance around the service. I I, I like it. I, I thought, boy, this is really wonderful, but. They took this Romans 8 1 and, and sang it to a calypso bait. There's therefore now no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation. No condemnation in my soul. You know, and, uh, and then yeah, I, it just kept getting better and better and better. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, they'd sing it for the ladies, they'd sing it for the men. And by the time they finished singing that song, I mean, you felt like you already stepped into the court uh, court of heaven itself. It was wonderful. Uh, I'd like to go back and do that again. Either that or I'd like to have them come this way and show us how to do some of those things. Well, I've always loved math. And I always did well in math. Uh, whenever I was in high school, myself and another young man, Stephen Bear, uh, we were in electric shop. I studied to be an electrician, and 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 we uh, we were the only two men, the only two boys in school that ever finished the entire math book that uh, we had to study, learning Ohm's law and uh, and and uh, a lot of the a lot of the logarithms, and uh, we, we we learned all kind of things. And in uh, fact, is the the teacher of the class uh, would have Stephen and myself to tutor the other you know, guys in in the class. Well, I always liked mathematics, but here's here there there is an applied mathematics to salvation. Listen, here's how it works: God came to us as sinners and added grace to our lives. He then subtracted sin from our lives. He then multiplied forgiveness through our lives and there can therefore be no division of our life from His life. We belong totally lock, stock, and barrel to Jesus. Now I've told you this before, but I want to say it to you again. You can never, ever do anything so bad that it will make God love you less than He loves you right now. And you can never, ever do anything so good that it will make God love you more than He loves you right now. He loves you with an everlasting love. If you're good, He loves you. If you're bad, He loves you. But I'll tell you this thing. God loves you so much that He will not leave you in the condition that you're in. You see, we will love Him back. And we love God because He first loved us. The Greek uh, word, uh, well, in, in uh, Romans eight thirty seven, where the Apostle Paul says, uh, But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. We're more than conquerors. The Greek word for overwhelmingly conquer or more than conquerors is a word that literally means super conqueror. 
It comes from two words, the word Nike. We're all familiar with that. We see Nike things. Uh, it, it, that means victor or victory. And the word hyper, uh, the Greek word, huper, H-U-P-E-R, hyper, we, we get our word, which, which means over and above. Um, you know, when people are hyper, uh, they're over and above. They're acting out. They, I mean, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're above. They're doing more than what they ought to be doing. And do you know what the difference between a conqueror and a super conqueror is? Well, a conqueror is someone who fights a battle and wins it. But a super conqueror is someone who knows the battle is won before it's even fought. Uh, he can he can go to bed at night and sleep uh, nice nice and easy. He's not going to be tossing and turning. Just like Peter, whenever he was in jail and he had the prospects of being crucified the next day or being killed the next day, he's sleeping sound. And the angel has to wake him up. Uh, he's a super conqueror. He knows that the victory's already been won. But a, a super conqueror knows a little bit more than that. He knows the battle is won before it's fought. But he also follows the victory by commanding what he has conquered. Now listen to me. That's what's wrong with our nation whenever we fight a war. We can't just turn things back over to the same people that had it before without, without any, uh, any help from us. We have to command what has been conquered. Otherwise, it's going to rise up and fight us again. And it'll fight us and bite us again and again and again. Now, I don't want to be playing politics in the pulpit, but you're going to be reading about it, hearing about it, and some things cannot be resolved just simply uh, by rhetoric. You can't just talk about it. There has to be some action, and it has to be hard action. We have to command what has been conquered in order to have the territory free and peaceful. Well, I heard about a man one time that was bragging to a bunch of kids about how strong he was and he said I am so strong that one time I took a pocket knife and with that little pocket knife I cut the tail off of a big man-eating lion and one little kid there with huge eyes said wow that's unbelievable why didn't you cut off his head and the man said oh somebody had already done that Hey, folks, we're super conquerors. The devil has already been whipped when Jesus Christ died on that cross. That was the, that, that was the blow that doomed the devil. He's a doomed foe. Uh, he, he's, he's already been beat. But now, his execution hasn't taken place yet. He's still trying to use his influence. And when is the devil at his worst? Let me tell you. When he knows his time is short. And I'm telling you, the days are getting long. And we're seeing the devil. Uh, He knows his time is short. 
And he's doing all kind of things. We're seeing things happening in, in our world that haven't happened in hundreds of years. And yet they're happening now. We're seeing a lot of things happen. And the devil is very active because he knows his time is short. But if, you, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, the battle has been won and you're a victory. God counts you as having won the battle already. Now, I understand just as well, if not better, than anybody in this room that life is a battle. It's not easy. And it seems with each passing day, it gets more difficult. You're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. You know, I, I listen, listen to me, folks, just a little bit more. I listen to your conversations. I love you folks. I hope you know that. And I know that you're going through a time of discouragement, difficulty, trial. You've lost some people from your church. Uh, You want to gain back so much, so quick, and it takes time. But hear me. Don't give up on each other. Don't give up on the Lord. Don't give up on the church. Don't quit. Don't stop. Don't let up. Do your best for Jesus and keep going. Love one another. Support one another. Lean on each other. that's that's what it takes to have a, a winning team, a great church. You're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. But even on your worst day, it ought to be a Thanksgiving day. Amen. Every day, a Thanksgiving day. Because you can know and you can love and you can serve God. And you know that He stands for you. And you know that He stands with you. And you know that He stands by you. He'll not forsake you. He'll not leave you. He will help you. He will strengthen you. He will lift you. He will help you in every way. Every day should be Thanksgiving Day. Plain and simple. Because God will stay with you, by you, and for you. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. You know, I haven't gone over the plan of salvation in the message, but I've told you that Jesus is the Savior. He shed His blood on Calvary's cross for you. He purchased your salvation with His blood. He paid your sin debt. And if you've not yet trusted Him... Would you do it today? Would you open your heart and say, Lord Jesus, I know I've done wrong. I know I've sinned against you. I've fallen short. Lord, I want your forgiveness. I repent of my sin right now. And I ask you to come into my heart. If you've not done that yet, would you do that today? If you've already done that, have you confessed him publicly? Have you followed him in the waters of baptism and church membership? Are you following him as the Lord of your life? Letting him call the shots? Studying his word? Fellowshipping with his people? Doing service in his name? 
Maybe you need to recommit your life to the Lord. Or perhaps there's someone that needs to transfer their membership from one church to this church and say, you know, I want to serve God in the fellowship of a loving congregation. This is a fellowship of love. And I want to put my life and my labors and my loyalty here in this church. You'd come in answer to our appeal today. And we'll sing a hymn of invitation and allow you to do that. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we ask you to bless us now as we sing this hymn of invitation. We ask it in his name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?